Welcome to Bulletproof Business. Bulletproof Business. A podcast about the best strategies for exponential growth, achieving success, and dealing with failure. Hosted by the founders of Virtual Assistant Staffing Agency, John Trusty and Brady Morgan. They seek to bring fresh and eye-opening conversations with successful business leaders to the surface. Welcome to the show. Before we dive into the episode, let's talk about our company, Virtual Assistant Staffing Agency. We do exactly what our name says. We staff business owners with virtual talent so they can grow to the next level. Whether you're looking to offload administrative, creative, or technical tasks, we are your number one solution for outsourcing. Head over to our website, www.vastaffing.agency. Book a call with our team and get started for free. What is up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan. I am one of the hosts of Bulletproof Business. My co-host is actually not present today, but we have Dan Young, a very special guest. Dan is a tech nerd, for lack of a better term, entrepreneur, mentor, and real estate developer. He has been on the Inc. 500 list multiple times, as well as being an Intel Board of Advisors member, an AMD Gaming Advisory Council member. Dan has done over $600 million in deals, which have included PC laptops and Zydax.com. Dan, what's going on, man? What's up, dude? Appreciate you coming on the show. So I didn't prep you for this initial question. This is actually the only scripted question we have. But what's the dumbest thing you've ever spent money on? Dumbest thing is investing money in a buddy's business because he was my buddy without looking at the numbers. So what, what did that look like? Let's dive into that a little bit. Uh, it's just a buddy. He's like, bro, we've been friends forever, dude. And I want to start this thing. And dude, you're doing pretty good. It's just wondering, you know, if you could invest in it, dude, I won't let you down. And I was like, here's the money gone. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's the epitome of what they say. Don't, don't miss, don't, don't mix family and business right there. Or friends and business too. In this yeah. Case. It's the same guy who's like, buy this crap coin, dude. This crypto dude. <laughs> you just don't listen to that guy. No, you can't listen you to just, him. You can't listen to him. So, so tell me about you. You've obviously done a lot. Your Instagram handle is Dan's Millionaire Code. So I imagine that could either mean coding like software or there is a code to actually being a millionaire. But tell me about yourself. Tell me about the rise to where you're at today. Uh, so, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. I uh, was a delinquent teenager, totally rowdy, right? And then uh, got in big trouble, came to Utah, lived with my sister for a while. And then worked in the mall, right? Radio Shack. There you go. <laughs> Swap meets on weekends, all kinds of crazy jobs. Um, then I met my mentor in the mall. And there's this old guy who came in with a broken uh, ham radio. He's like, dude, can you help me fix this? I'm like, sure, bro. Fixed it for him. He's like, dude, you know a lot about computers too, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, do you need a mentor? I'm like, yeah. Like, So tell me about yourself. And he's <laughs> like, well, I sold my company for uh, $2.7 billion or some outrageous number. And he's like, so now I'm retired and I just hang out in the mall, exercise, and I play with ham radios. He's like, but if you need a mentor, I'll come by every week and I'll show you how to do it. And within three years, I made a million bucks. So wow. it's pretty, pretty cool. So, so was that, obviously the mentor is very important in, in an entrepreneurial journey. We can get into that. But I know your email is at PC Laptops. Was that the first venture that you started? Uh, no, I worked at the SWAT meet actually in, in Radio Shack, right? Um, but the swap meet was the first one and I was selling uh, brass knuckles, Ginsu knife, nunchucks, pepper gas, stuff like that. 
And, you know, I was making a couple hundred dollars a day on weekends. It was pretty cool as a kid, you know. Uh, but then I decided to uh, wear a karate gi outfit and just do, <laughs> like, do a crazy show just to see what would happen. Yeah. And we started making, like, two grand a day. So it was funny. Wow. <laughs> Wow. That was personal. So, so with your rise, right. Let, let's think back. I'm, I'm a very big on hypotheticals. Let's say that guy didn't mentor you when you're working at radio shack. Do you think that you would still be where you're at today? Uh, probably not exactly where I'm at today. I would have probably figured it out, uh, but not as quickly. Probably right. saved me like 10 years. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So do you, so do you, do you think a mentor is key in accelerating that, that process? Oh, it's critical. It is the most important thing. And, and that's why like on Dan's millionaire code on my podcast, I bring in a friend, friends who've done really well from zero and have made millions and billions and, you know, and they just share how they did it. So that way, you know, younger people or people that are just trying to figure it out can, can listen to that and get, get it for free. Yeah. I think that's key, man. Like for, for me, I'm 25 years old, but you know, there's people, what's crazy about the internet nowadays is when you think about mentor, you always think about somebody that's older somebody that's older, that's experienced. But what's wild with the internet is there are people who are like 16 years old who are killing it that could quote unquote be a mentor because they've done it. They can accelerate that process. So I think that's wild. And I think for people out there listening, like mentor is key. I can attest to that, that having a mentor accelerates the process. You don't know what you don't know and you can avoid the fuck ups by not doing what that person did. But what else? Obviously you have to put in the work. So if somebody's mentoring you and he's telling you, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that, here's how you need to act. How did you feel in that? Because going from Radio Shack to a quote-unquote entrepreneur is not exactly a smooth journey. So did was there some pushback from you? What did that look like in that scenario? Um, so what happened is, actually, I was at Radio Shack, and then I went to work at this other place. was a, a bigger electronics chain, um, and then they went bankrupt. So what I did is I got the customer database of all the customers I had sold electronics to. And I just cold called them. I'm like, hey, man, they're out of business, but my manager let me have the database. So if you need warranty work or computers and things, just give me a call or text. Right. <laughs> uh, it wasn't text, a page. At the page. Time. <laughs> so yeah, page. So people were paging me. And um, the first year I lost 27 grand because uh, I was coming on this warranty stuff. Next year we did a million dollars in revenue. So it was, it was a good next year. And then, you know, um, but I would say the big thing is execution, frame out and execution. And you're going to find mentors that are good at different things. So, for example, um, I do massive amounts in real estate and crypto and different uh, stock and things like that. And I have, even at my age, now I have mentors in those areas that are way, way better than me in that specialty field. And I simply just copy what uh, they recommend to do and it works. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, I think a lot of people overthink stuff. They're like, hey, I want to do it my way, blah, 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 which you can. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of like, I remember a conversation with, with Mike, uh, one of my mentors. And he's like, I'm like, dude, you're worth $400 million in your thirties. How do you do this? This is when I'm in my uh, early twenties. Right. And he's like, dude, um, it's about execution. I go, I don't think I'm smart as you. And, uh, he goes, well, how smart do you think you are compared to me? And I'm like, I don't know, like 10% dude, cause you're a freaking genius. He's like, well, then you're going to be worth $40 million by the time you're, you're, you're 30. And that's what I believed. And that's what I happened. Yeah. So now I'm like, it's just as high as you want to set that bar. You know, I should have probably just 
said, dude, I'm smart as or smarter than you, bro. <laughs> uh, and, you know, um, but you know, lesson learned. So, you know, but that's what people like what I've seen, especially Steve jobs. He talks about how the, the world has been created by people who are no smarter than you and me. It's just execution. People just did it. And you see how many people are geniuses, but they never execute upon their ideas. They don't do the work. They just work for a corporation and they get in the rat race and that's it. So I, I think, yes, having a mentor is important, but obviously you have to pair that with execution. If you don't have execution, nothing's going to happen. Oh man, I'll give you an example. This is like this right now. Um, so we're working on this new project, right? And I'm like, hey, I'll bring in a few friends to put some money into this project. We'll do a little raise, right? And so I talked to my... Uh, other partner in my new project and, I, and I'm like how much should we raise he's like I don't know like we could go big like 25 million or something like in a short period of time I'm like that's tiny bro like why are we going for so little um and so I go here let me just spend a week a week just talking to friends that I know and see what I can raise and we raised 170 million dollars in five wow. days um so we'll pro- I probably will end up raising half a billion for this project uh, which is crazy, That's crazy. Um, but, but it's just like, I think people look at track record, right? Track record is everything. And that builds confidence in people. And really when I invest, I, I usually like to bet on the, on the jockeying and not the horse, right? It's like, who's going to ride that horse and you know, that's yeah. the secret. Yeah. No, I think it's being bold too. Like fortune favors the bold. It's, it's having confidence in what you're doing and being bold and making those bold bets and raising half a billion dollars as a bold bet right i mean that's that's a large number so uh that's cool so you got pc laptops zydex which i i imagine is also in the pc space is that right it is Uh uh-huh so what is what's the difference between those two why why the why two different companies so pc laptops was designed back in the mid 90s um it's still wildly popular in utah we have eight locations here and that's for face-to-face most of our clients are people who really want that extra touch and care Hey, set this up for me. Get, make, make sure my software works, blah, blah, blah. And, and people really like that personal experience. Zydex is more geared for people kind of like your age and people that are a little bit more technically savvy. And a lot, most of our customers are super smart. They know how to build computers and they know what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, or a lot of them are just high tech type of people. Uh, Zydex just offers killer performance computing for gaming, crypto trading, um, all those different things that people may do, you know, stock trading, those kind of things. Um, content creation, uh, it's a huge thing. And the big differentiator with that company is our desktops are covered forever. Cause you know, these video cards, some are like two, three grand now. Right. Right. And they warranty them from the factory for 12 months. We cover them forever. Um, cause you know, Murphy's law says on month 13, your $2,000 video card that you paid a thousand dollars more than MSRP on stock X for blows up. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we've got video cards, dude. So, because I bought, I bought a year of inventory ahead of time. So we've got every freaking Nvidia AMD video card uh, available now. Which, like most most people, are getting scalped, you know, for like way over double and stuff like that. Do you do you guys do custom builds for PCs? Yeah, we don't sell components. When I say we have video cards, it's with a complete build. Okay, um, gotcha. Yeah, but you see, like all the crazy influencers using our computers now we got steve ioki one he's rad yeah. uh and you know unbox therapy and mr yep. beast and all these people so. so you mentioned crypto a lot and crypto is very very hot along with nfts have you been in crypto for a while or is that something that's pretty new for you 2013 okay. um 
And in 2014, I built the largest cryptocurrency. We were mining Doge, uh, which is funny. In, in 2014. Yeah, the largest wow. cryptocurrency mining facility in our state. So pretty cool. Wow. So nowadays, you know, I think you see a lot of people investing or investing into crypto, NFTs. What are your strategies, if you don't mind sharing, for figuring out the best methods for it and figuring out where you're going to make the most return? Uh, it's accumulate, you know, typically I use a rule called the 40, 40, 20, 40% 40 conservative, large cap plays. You know, that's usually the top five type of coins out there, you know? Um, and then I put 40 in mid tier with staking, staking, meaning that when you hold the coin, you can actually earn, um, more coins. It's like interest, right. For, for using it as a utility. And then I invest 20% in weird, funky, NFT projects, crap coins, those kind of, that's my gamble. Yeah. Right. Um, but all the money I put in crypto, I, I expect it could go to zero. It could happen. Um, but uh, so far it hasn't. So that's cool. Yeah. Did you, did you invest any money into the squid coin? Yes. I put in $65,000, which is in, in the size of, the, of what I do in crypto is not much just for fun. A few friends did. And I think mine went up to like $3.8 million. And then it's gone, right? It was gone. Yeah, it got rug pulled, but I was pissed for like 12 seconds. I was like, you know, <laughs> bro. But you got to look at your overall portfolio. That is in the crap coin. Like that like, where you're expecting to lose money, essentially. Yeah. So if I bet like, if I buy 12 crap coin projects, probably that will happen to two of them or three of them. Mm-hmm. It's just how it goes, you know? So how do, so how it's do not people... Like, prevent that from happening because you see the squid games right obviously largest show on netflix for viewer rate but releasing a coin like that seemed very relevant because the the show was big but now you have people that are pulling the rug and people are losing money but it seems like that happens that's not the first thing that happens so how do you based off your knowledge how do you prevent that from happening and investing things that you will lose money on so you can do what I call a diligence protocol, which I'll give you right now for everyone to help prevent that, you know, on a large scale. Um, but a lot of times I've seen projects that are total garbage, like just freaking go nuts. So it just depends on your risk tolerance. Now for, for this, there's a couple of things. If you looked at the dev team that was on the webpage, right. And you went to LinkedIn, none of them exist. They were all stock photos and fake names. None of those people existed. Flag one. Okay. They're not real people. Right. Uh, number two, you go to their discord and Twitter, telegram, all that kind of stuff. And all the chats and comments are turned off. Right. That's a second red flag. So if they're not taking feedback and these people are not real people that have done projects, they can't be hunted down if something rug pulls. Right. So if you see a developer who's had many good projects for a few years or, you know, way back, the, and they have a community and a lot of followers and they've been around and people know where they live. They're probably not going to rug pull because they're going to have some really pissed off people. Right. Right. If they're anonymous and they're using like, you know, rerouted VPNs and all kinds of stuff, uh, then there's a chance that there's probably going to steal your, you know, your cash flow. If they're U S based, the developer, they're probably not going to rug pull because people know where they live, you know, and, yeah. you know, and, and they know where they hang out. And that's why, a lot of the projects that I like to get involved with on a larger scale are U.S.-based projects, um, and not always, 
but there are again, prominent people that, you know, exist. Right. Right. So if something does happen, Hey, <laughs> we can find this person and, and get our money back. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least the government can prosecute sec or whatever they need to do to, you know, for fraud. Right. So that's one way, but again, I've bought the stupidest, stupidest coins. Like uh, when Doge first came out in 14, um, we had a lot of it and uh, you didn't know anything about these developers. They're just like a bunch of kids like having fun, you know? Yeah. So it's wild. I mean, it's wild. What about the NFT space? Do you, do you venture into that at all? Um, I do. And with NFTs, I usually try to get into uh, pre-sales. And, you know, when you can do minting and things like that on projects that have to be, been done by guys that I know that have done good projects and were successful. Right. Because that way they know how to do the marketing, you know, on the discords and the community management and all that. Because really with NFTs, it's all uh, marketing. It's purely marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Because for me, you know, come, when I first heard about NFTs, I was like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Why would someone want to own a digital PNG? But then you get into it, and you're like, oh, it's demand. When you have like a Gary Vee or a Logan Paul or somebody big backing it and buying it, of course it's going to blow up. And it's all about, I mean, with anything, it's if the demand is there and the supply is low, people are going to spend a lot of money on it. So I think people are starting to kind of understand it. But this other company on your Instagram storage whale. So what is storage well? What's the purpose of it? And how does it work with the other two PC companies? Storage well is just simple. It's enterprise grade backup. So the level that we sell to banks and military and all that, available to the consumer, right? Mm-hmm. And so it has all kinds of data replication and security and things like that to keep your data safe. But what it does is it basically takes all your data on your computer that you choose to back up, throws it on multiple servers across the universe, right? And when you need a quick restore, it's cheap. It's like seventy to five dollars a year or something like that. Now it's okay. really cheap. Okay. So it sounds like for you, like being in this tech space, that that is what is your foundation. That's your background, and that's allowed you to venture into crypto, real estate, I'm sure stocks, etc. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So that's that's the core business, and they all run. They're growing crazy right now. So they're awesome. Too. So my my question is: you see a lot of people on Instagram. And everybody is a serial entrepreneur, right? Everybody has 15 different businesses, e-com, automation, whatever the case might be. Your foundation being in technology and computers, do you think people need to have a foundational business that grows and then expand in other avenues? Or do you agree with everybody trying everything in the beginning and seeing what works? I think it's important to just do a test uh, you know, of your hypothesis and that a lot of guys are like, Hey, I want to raise money, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, first test your product, market your product, sell it, make profit, reinvest it. Don't bring in a lot of partners, scale it. Right. If you can nail it, you can scale it. That's mm-hmm. the first important thing. Once you have good cash flow and you're making, you know, a few million dollars a year or a million a year or whatever that number is for you, you can take some of those profits and put them into other businesses, but you have to look at every opportunity that you're doing as an ROI basis on an RI basis. So you're like, Hey, if I put thousand of this one, man, I could earn 10 grand, right? If I put 10, you know, whatever that number is, um, I would tend to get non-emotional with businesses and just do the mathematics on them and see what works. I try not to keep more than five projects on one hand, things I'm really focusing on. But the big thing is this, what lets you pair off from one project to another is finding someone who's good enough that you would work for. And you bring them in as a piece of the pie 
and let them run that org. And as long as the numbers are scaling right, then that's great. Then you can focus your energy on the others. But I see guys are like, dude, I'm an Amazon automation guy. And I'm also got a social media website thing. And I got this yeah. and I do this. And I'm just like, bro. And, and you look at their tax return and their net, net, net is they're making, I don't know, hundred grand a year or something. It's like, bro, you're working 120 hours a week. Like, yeah, it's better to focus sometimes. So, so is that what you do with projects is you will be involved. You'll scale it up, probably hire a team to do the day to day, but hire someone that knows a lot about that particular project. And then you'll step away and focus on something else. Yeah. And a lot of times it's all about connection. So right, like, right. you know, I have, I've had friends who are like, dude, I need to launch this project. And so I know a lot of people in the tech field. So I'd be like, well, I'll just plug them in. But I have an agreement we call it MOU memorandum of understanding. And what I'll say is, look, if I plug you in, I get 10% of the deal. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll get you your money or I'll get you your team or whatever you need. And I'm just asking if I can get a 10% piece of that deal. Is that fair? And every single one of my friends are like, yeah, dude, cause I'll find the right person. Cause if it doesn't make money, then I don't make money. Right. Um, and then boom, you know? And so a lot of it, is relationship connection because your your network is your net worth really you know yeah um it's huge well it cuts down on time too for them having to find that perfect person themselves oh yeah yeah so you just got to help people bake the cake man yeah so on this journey dan obviously being a business owner entrepreneur is hard i think it's glorified people make it sound like it's very easy i imagine as you get more successful it does quote unquote, get easier, but there's always a different problem at that next ceiling. Along this journey, yes, there's been positive. You can look at your Instagram, you can show the success, the success of your companies, money made, et cetera. What are some of those low points? Some points where you thought to yourself, man, like this shit sucks. I want to quit. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go back and work at Radio Shack and have that, that comfortable, easy life. What are those points? Because that is what truly resonates with people, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. everybody's going through struggles. It's just knowing how to get over them based off what other people have done. So really stress and overwhelm is caused by, uh, weak goals. So like, if you're very clear on your goals, I call it your, what do you want how, which stands for what, why, when, and how, when you're talking about financial, physical, and spiritual targets, if you're very clear on those things, it's really tough to get burned out right? And you know, what's actionable. Um, when something terrible happens, you know, I remember losing a million dollars almost in 90 days from just some stupid thing I overlooked. And I was like, Oh, and at the time it was like a lot of what I had. And so what I did is I was like, Hey, uh, I called Mike, my mentor guy. And I'm like, bro, what do I do? He's like, well, what'd you learn from it? And I, I wrote, he goes, well, write it down. And I wrote down this whole list of things. And then I faced it. I felt it. I learned from it. And then, you know, within eight months that so we had like made triple what we lost. So, cause we learned, right. So that was a point where it's like, dude, I lost almost everything I should give up or, okay, what I learned from this can we, cause it's still viable. Right. Uh, that's Those the way and you, you, you know, you learn. Yeah. Because I, I think failure is inevitable at every level. I mean, you have people who are billionaires who are still failing, but it's just saying, okay, I'm going to fail. If I can learn from it, then that was still a success. Quote unquote. Well, take the word failure out of your vocabulary. I don't fail, I guess. I really, thinking back, I, there's no failure. There's just learning opportunity. Right. So when this thing comes up, you're like, okay, this is learning opportunity. And then you smile, right? <laughs> Even though it sucks, right? Uh, 
right? But that's a learning opportunity. Fail means to not learn something and give up. Simple. Okay, I like that. I like that. Taking it out of vocabulary. Because I, I think I think if you take it out of vocabulary, it makes it a lot more positive experience. And I think a lot of people nowadays, fail, I mean, we'll use the word failure. Failure happens a lot. I think a lot of entrepreneurship is hard. And a lot of people don't understand that you have to give it 150%. Because if you don't, you will want to give up and you will quit because it is hard and you can't deal with it. So for you, when you do have those learning opportunities, do you have a specific method other than saying, oh, this is a learning opportunity. I feel like that's the easy way out. What is your method for knowing to yourself, okay, this is learning opportunity. I'm going to move forward. Maybe I need to go meditate. Maybe I need to take a walk. Maybe I need to back up for a little bit. What is your method and strategy around overcoming that? You're talking about the emotional aspect. Mm -hmm. Emotional Uh, emotional aspect is I call it worst case scenario you know, our Armageddon scenario, you just, okay, what's the worst thing that's going to happen here? I mean, I know this sucks and maybe it's going to get worse here, right? For a minute. What's the worst thing? Loss of business, loss of money, loss of what? Okay. And then when you can accept that that loss could happen and you feel it, then you no longer fear it. Cause then you ask yourself a question is what's good about this. What's great about this. And what can I do to navigate this to the outcome I want? Um, it's just, you got to pull that emotion out. Now, obviously, if you need immediate state control, you know, drink a big glass of water, eat something healthy <laughs> and go walk and clear your head for like 30 minutes, yep. you know, throw on some nice music and feel the sun and appreciate gratitude for, for 30 minutes, you know. Um, and that, you know, for some people that pushes a reset, at least to an extent. Right. Um, and then you got to get so much back to work on planning your execution of what you're going to do about it. Um, then you're fine. Yeah you feel a lot better. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think for that, I, I imagine everybody's different. That probably works for you. Like for me, this sounds super weird. Whenever I get stressed or hit that learning opportunity, like we're talking about for some reason, like cleaning up the house, like I have a nine month old son and a wife and obviously things get dirty very easily or very messy. Just cleaning things up for some reason helps me clear my head. So I clear my head. I'm good. I sit back down, I'll take a deep breath. Okay. What do I got to do next? What can I do to overcome this? And I think everyone has to be very self-aware of everybody's going to react to that differently, but understanding to not let your emotions get the best of you. Cause it's very easy as an entrepreneur and just knowing that, Hey, like there, there's another day. This is not the end of the world. Losing money is not the end of the world. Everybody loses money at some point in life, in my opinion, and just keep pushing. You know what the big secret is this being you're younger, you know, I talk, I train a lot of younger people and males don't reach mental maturity until 42 years old. And a male's largest income earning stream time is probably between like that early forties to 65. That's when you're maximal because you're not driven by testosterone purely and rage and emotion. You, you still have that, but you're able to hone that in and be a little more zenny, right? Women tend to mature in their late twenties. Um, and just, just how women are wired. They mature a lot faster than dudes. So anything you can do to control your rage, your emotion, your, your impulsiveness, uh, and be able to think clearly is going to definitely give you a heads up, especially if you're in your, in your early twenties. Um, they always say, hey, if I could go back 20 years and tell myself something, it would be control your rage, control your emotions, control how much time you spend being pissed off, sad, yeah. angry, you know, <laughs> that's a lot of wasted energy, you know? Yeah. And for me, whenever I do get pissed off, cause it's going to happen, you're going to get pissed off. But when I do, I have to ask myself, like, is this really that big of a deal? 
Is it really something to get pissed off about and waste energy on? And it's usually not. And it's usually little shit that doesn't matter, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, exactly, man. So, Dan, obviously you're, you're involved a lot professionally. Speaking about balance, I'm a big believe, believer that work-life balance does not exist. I think as an entrepreneur and business owner, you have to have work-life harmony. Jeff Bezos talks about it because the two have to kind of coexist. It's hard to give you equal amount of time to personal life as it is to professional life. What is your strategy around that? I'm not sure if you have a family, any kids, wife, whatever, but wife, kids, everything, dogs. So so what what, dogs? Yeah. Those are the main time component there. What is your strategy for making sure that yes, you are present professionally, but you're also present personally. Uh, Scheduling. So everybody has a calendar on their phone, right? Um, And you just schedule what you need to get done around that. And it's just like a meeting is non-negotiably canceled. We had this podcast scheduled, right? So I'm going to be there. It's an appointment. You have your non-negotiable date night with your wife, your time with your kids, time to walk your dog. And you just have it on your schedule and you just follow it. It's not really that hard. It's not even, once you do that, it's just part of you becomes part of a habit, right? And, and it's not a big deal. The problem is when people wing ding things all day too much without scheduling some of these things is when sometimes they get like too sucked into the entrepreneurial thing and ignore their family or they're like so much into working out that they don't make any more money. Right. Right. <laughs> the vice versa. So schedule. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reading uh, the tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss right now. And I actually just read a section about people who say they're too busy. And it says people who say they're too busy are full of shit because if you are in charge of your calendar, you will make yourself not too busy. If you just schedule appropriately. And he says, people who say they're too busy, you need to look inside and say, what am I doing right now? That is because busy and production does not equal each other. A lot of people believe it does. It does not equal each other. So I think it's being self-aware that, okay, I have these scheduled appointments. These are what's truly important to me. These other 15 things really aren't important. I really don't need to do those. But I think as an entrepreneur and as males, the ego to do everything ourselves and the ego to not give control to anyone else. And I think that's a downfall. It's just being self-aware and understanding that people can help you. Teams are important. Stick to your schedule and everything's going to work out. You know, out of our waking hours, we spend most really successful entrepreneurs making hundreds of millions of dollars are only spending about 10% of their time actually executing about 90% is other <clears throat> just screwing around or whatever, right? Socializing, chit-chatting, blah, blah, blah. stuff that's not moving the needle. Most right. people are spending less than 10% of their actual waking time moving the needle. It's wild. Just get that, get that a little bit higher. Get that at like 13%, 14, yeah. man. That, then if you, I think if you get it to 15%, you're a billionaire if you're doing it right. Yeah. Do you, do you believe in the fact of only doing a few set things per day? You know, a lot of people say, hey, only do six things per day because scientifically, if you do any more, you can't focus. Do you have a strategy around that? Well, everything that we do equates to just a few things a day, major decisions a day. Now, you have smaller ancillary tasks. And I just follow uh, DDD, do, delegate, or delete, right? And typically, if I can have someone do it, you know, I just have them, I just delegate it, right? Right, right. Um, You know, so do, delegate, or delete, man. Not too tough. Yeah, I think that's key there. So, Dan, as we begin to wrap up, the, the title of this podcast is Bulletproof Business. You have a lot of different things, crypto, real estate, PCs. How are you ensuring every day that you and your businesses stay bulletproof? There is no bulletproof. We could literally be in the bathroom, scrolling Instagram feed and die of an aneurysm taking a shit. Seriously, <laughs> like it could happen. 
That's why you need to take 10% of your net income and do stupid things like buy Lambos or whatever, you know? Um, but one thing you can do, um, is just make sure you have a written plan. Like, what do you look like in 20 years? What does it look like a year from now? Five, et cetera, everything between that. Um, and just enjoy the journey because the journey could end in this existence at any moment. So just make sure you're really, you're giving more than you take. I think that's really important though. And, um, the one big shift that I think I want to leave everyone with that I, if I could go back and tell my 25 year old self is give more, stop being so selfish, uh, do it early. Um, that doesn't mean giving your money away for free to everybody, but giving value stuff that really helps people learn to fish. Just don't throw a fish at someone's head randomly. That doesn't help. Right. Teach people how to fish. If that's an area that's of your area of expertise, right. That's, that's the best thing. Um, that's, that's the best way that I do it now. So. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. It's just providing value at the end of the day. They can provide value and the world will come back and, and reward you for it. But Dan, I appreciate your time, man. If my audience wants to get in touch with you, what's the best place to do that? Instagram, Dan's Millionaire Code. Um, if you want a computer, Zydex, X-I-D-A-X.com. <laughs> love it. Yeah, guys, if you enjoyed the episode, reach out to Dan. I'll link his Instagram down below. And Dan, I appreciate your time, man. Thanks, brother. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bulletproof Business. We post new episodes every week, and we'd greatly appreciate it if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll catch you next time.